Welcome to the Femininja podcast. This series was co-curated and co-hosted with our friends at Who's Knowledge. These episodes were recorded during the Decolonizing the Internet East Africa gathering in Lusaka, Zambia. Hi everyone. This is yet another episode on decolonizing the internet. And I'm still your host, Sylvia Kerubo from Femnet. And I work there as uh, the digital media officer. And I am here with my co-host. I'm Len Apasami, and I'm still your co-host. I'm the communications associate for the Visible Wiki Women campaign that the wonderful Whose Knowledge question mark runs. And today's guest is... My name is Irene Mwendwa, and I work for Policy with a double L. <laughs> oh, that's so unique. That's very unique. And today, I know I'm going like 10 minutes ahead. I liked the dignity. Is it, no, is it dignity? Digitalsafety.com. Digitalsafety.com. Digitalsafety. Safety. Safe chai. You know, safe chai. You know when you say yes. chai, when you say yes. chai in my head, I'm like, not what chai is. Chai is, <laughs> is uh, global. Everyone understands what oh, chai, like chai is. Tea. Yes. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Well, clearly not in Zambia because when you ask for tea, you're not, you're not getting it. <laughs> Okay. You're not, you're not yeah, I'm so sorry mm-hmm. for that. Yes. Oh, it's okay. So yes. nice to have you here, Irene. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so thank much for honoring you. the invitation. Thank you. And we'll just get straight to it. Please tell us a little bit more about policy with a double L. Okay. We celebrated five years today, guys. Woo! Yay! Not today, sorry, I meant this year. <laughs> still, still, <okay>. still <laughs> yes. Anyway, Policy is a feminist civic tech based in Kampala, Uganda. We have a physical office because by registration, you're supposed to have a physical address. But from the get-go, we've always been a remote and nomadic workforce. You can work from anywhere you wish. You can do your deliverables from anywhere because we believe in the power of the internet in connecting human beings and in providing knowledge for you to be able to work and in also really making life fun. So I'm sure everyone is wondering why policy with double L. (laughs) For sure. We consider that as adults, we make very critical decisions that affect our lives. And one of the biggest decisions you make in your life is the exercise of polling. And polling is voting, but polling and policy making. And we created the PONTMO. I keep missing this word, I'm sorry, but it's a combination of the two words and hence policy. So voting, that's polling and policy making, and you get the name policy. We work on the intersections of internet governance and data governance. In terms of internet governance, of course, it cuts across several issues. The design of it just the governance of it and also just the spread of it into our lives. And in terms of data governance, just to see how marginalized groups, women and youth are included. 
Um, and this will be, of course, again, on the issues of design legislation, marketing, use, of your, use and misuse of your data, just understanding the power of data in our daily lives and so forth. And we do this in very simplified manner. Overarching programs is research because we collect a lot of data that informs our work. And the way we put out our work is in very simplified versions because technology can be technical. The terms can be too technical. So we try to synthesize that and we try to make them our reports at least readable and very brief for people to for us to put their points across really. We do this of course through in, in terms of dissemination, we do of course trainings, we do small groups, we invite people in small groups, we go to marketplaces to just share and ask people, do you know what AI is? Do you know what this is? Do you know this is coming in, in the parliament for this up for discussion? And we've been doing this through different modalities and collaborating a lot with many organizations, with many community groups in Uganda and it's spreading in the rest of Africa through a lab which we call the Digital Human Rights Lab, DHRL. <laughs> and this lab is really a conglomerate of different organizations in Uganda, out of Kampala, just across the country and people are able to share information under this matters digital human rights or rather digital rights. And we've seen successes because there's an awareness that our young people straight of straight out of high school and universities are coming out of and they're sharing with their parents, with their loved ones, and we're appreciating it and just continuing to broaden that. And yeah, in a nutshell, that's us. Oh, my goodness, that's a lot. And that's some really, really, really good work. And so I would like to ask you, colonization. Mm. What does colonizing of the internet mean to you? Well, for me, I'll go to what I'd, I'd like to address for the whole recording or podcast. Um, the fact that I'll, I'll type something on my Facebook mm-hmm. and in English. And if my auntie um, from the village is trying to understand some, some bits of my statement, is not able to because of, tra- of the translation, then that's definitely a form of colonization. Mm-hmm. Lack of access to knowledge lack of communication in a sense because you're not able to communicate with them mm-hmm. just because a language is missing on the internet or because some bits of your local language is not important enough to be added mm. on this platform. So for me, that is modern day colonization, which is really, to be honest, annoying and very, very discriminatory. And it continue, continues to divide us really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it separates us on the basis of the haves and the have-nots, the literate and the illiterate. And unfortunately, it's just really forming a basis of more division mm-hmm. in our communities, in our societies, as opposed to bringing us together. Would you say, like, you've had a personal experience that for you felt like it was, you know, it really, like, hit, hit you, that this is definitely colonization? Well, actually, to be quite honest, it's really on the my daily use of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes some features that come to me on these wonderful platforms that we use, I wonder, it's asking, it's giving me the price in dollars. Is my currency in dollars? Wow, yeah. If I'm shopping online on some um, sites that are actually called international sites, mm-hmm. so are you quoting in dollars? 
Mm-hmm. Yet I pay in Kenya shillings. I need to start converting. You know, I'm already marginalized or just separated with the next crop just on that basis. And that is, for me, who is quite privileged. <laughs> so you can imagine for education purposes only, you're asked to join different learning management platforms and they are very detailed in terms of the developers who may be, you know, from different countries who developed with their education system in mind. So when you're exploring these wonderful learning management platforms, they're really, um, they don't, they don't, they're not, their user experience is really not, um, does not give room to an African girl or an African woman. And sometimes when you use it, you say, you know what, it's a new thing to me, let me learn. But you don't have to learn everything. They need to make most of these uh, products or products that they put with us in mind. So those are some of the forms of colonialization I have experienced as an individual. And this is my own personal experience. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I've always wanted to say this. I hate how... Hate is a strong word, but that's how I feel. Yeah. You can feel hate. Yeah. Hate it. You know, we have all these types of English online that we have to, you know, choose from. Do I want to use a letter Z? Do I want to to use a letter S? Which one is, you know, more uh, accepted worldwide? But no one takes into consideration all the languages that we speak. So we just exactly. have to choose between British and American exactly. and then, you know, all these things. So for exactly. me, it's just, we don't have to. My 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 response to you for that is why can't we have the internet in Swahili and then they all have to learn Swahili? You know? Yes. You know? Because Africa alone has almost 300 million Swahili speakers. Mm-hmm. Those are enough people to form a constituency, constituency for the big tech to develop their products in mm-hmm. Swahili. Yes. And it's like how you get so excited when they learn Swahili. Like, oh, my oh, God. Yes. How Habari. But, but, but no one gets excited when they learn Chinese. No. It's <laughs> like another person coming to steal from us. But, yeah. Colonization. And I think that's also colonization of the ah. mind as well. Yeah. But then we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that on a much later date. Mm, mm. Uh, so for the past two days, we've had interesting sessions mm. on decolonizing the internet. Mm. What would you say are your biggest takeaways from the sessions that we've, we've had? Well, specifically for the FemNet-led session and FemNet and Who's Knowledge session is uh, we got a chance to understand the knowledge points and who provides knowledge, the knowledge available on the internet, who really is the owner and who provides those knowledge sets. And African women, unfortunately, and girls <laughs> continue to be marginalized. But at the same time, we also got to understand that it's not... Therefore, that they are marginalized. It's mm-hmm. by design. Yes. And we launched a paper last year called Inclusion, Not Just an Add-on. It's a very simplified uh, paper that developers, uh, product developers and techies and computer scientists, data scientists and anyone in the tech ecosystem can use to improve how they design the products for an African girl, for an African woman. So That's that, amazing. Yes, yes. It's very simplified and we collaborated with one of the big tech, Meta, and they were able to understand, you know what, we'll be able to put some of these recommendations to our designers, to our engineers, so that they can have this in mind when they're developing some of the solutions on our apps. So it's really a clarion call for us to continue and for you, Feminate, and whose knowledge to continue to bring out this disparity so that... Unfortunately, many men working on these products can give room for 
women and also can can always have proof on their designs. Mm-hmm. Then the second thing I can go into would be in terms of just understanding and the clarity I got as to how mainstream human rights organizations and development organizations altogether have always been working on the tech ecosystem or the digital development, digital transformation ecosystem as a guest program in their work. Um, this would be, you know, and FemNet and whose knowledge you've started this or you're, you know, adding into what is happening to really be a clarion call for anyone working in any sector, may it be public health, education, agriculture, to just think about the digital issues that arise. I know there is a prioritization of needs in Africa, you know, when you're doing climate justice, agriculture, environmental justice, and everything in the spectrum. There is a need to understand the role of technology as a solution driver in all this Mm. and how it can just add on to what human beings are doing, the human resources doing, because it's always going to be, you know, you can technology cannot replace human beings, technology cannot replace human manpower. Yes, but how can it also add on to the efforts that we're already doing? Because we need to simplify some of the things that we do. So the things we need to work smart. So we need to start really we need to really adopt some of the technology coming our way. We know that Many people with disabilities are able to do gigs online now and they're able to get work and enjoy a full job and have a high-paying um, job just out of being having a laptop and being able to stay at home and work from your house. Um, that, re- that releases them from the challenges of going into the very minimal, inaccessible, uh, very inaccessible, many inaccessible places we have in our, in our cities. So it's really for us to look at how to, to complement what human beings are already doing with technology. Um, so those are the two areas I can go into about uh, the past two days. I'm just thinking about how even small things like electronics, like how they get into, you know, they're manufactured in those European and American countries and whatever. And those manuals that they come with, English, or, okay, some some try and have Swahili, but it's like English and like a... Show me the one with Swahili, though. I have seen a manual in Swahili. Oh. Honestly, I have. Ah, I love <laughs> I have that. Seen, I have seen a, you need to yeah, tweet that. I have who seen a manual in Swahili. We need to know who. What equipment was yeah. that? I'll, I'll, was it a I'll HP remember. laptop? <laughs> Because then we must yeah. buy HP. Yeah. <laughs> like, I need to see Zahili on a manual. Yeah, so for, for me, it's those small things, yes. you know, those yes. very, very little things. Are you seeing And now? the assumption yeah. that I will take this to my uncle, say, I don't know, in the village, who probably the most he understands is Swahili, mm. you know, but now mm. he has to call his little children or help like me his understand. nephews yeah. and be like, yo, come and read this for me. Mm. Come and help. Like, it's just, it's all those little things just mm. coming together and they have mm. to be stopped. If we are your market, tailor your products to fit into our market. Mm. Learn our language or employ local people to be yes. able to translate this for you because that's how it starts, you know? Yeah, so that's that's what that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> and just to tell you, do you know there are only twenty nine languages languages with digital vitality? Out of the eight thousand plus, you were told eight thousand. That means that mm. almost all their words are available on the internet. Mm. 
and uh, an example that is going to shock you further there's uh, there's i don't know between sweden and netherlands i keep confusing the two and i'm sorry for my listeners for the listeners there's a language that's spoken by about less than a million people that all of its language is full on on our digital platforms ah. yet so hili with 300 million speakers we're still waiting for some words Are you mm-hmm. seeing the depths? Mm-hmm. Yes. And and yeah. you know those things with the the fine print. Mm-hmm. The fine print is always in English. And if you are signing away your data, your privacy, your consent through those those user agreements and it's in English, then what are you doing? Like it's just it's ridiculous how even in the kind of ways to use certain infrastructure mm-hmm. in your kind of consent and your privacy you have to interface through a language that is not yours mm-hmm. you have to get other people to help you and then those people can also tell you maybe what you want to hear it's not like properly informed consent exactly yeah. and so how is that like ethical to be giving out tech to be um uh not incorporating like swahili into exactly. your user agreements yeah yeah and we conducted a study in three countries ethiopia tanzania and uganda just this year and um in our case studies we were just looking at access usability and safety in terms of access we asked ourselves are certain languages prioritized over others in the digital space so this way then you're able to know why your swahili was not prioritized over another language that's fully available and we also asked ourselves is there a social capital associated with using particular languages in the digital space so it That's means a great question. you get so it means yeah you must be in the who's and the who's you must be speaking the premium language like yeah. there's a premium language and are not so unfortunately we also asked ourselves are speakers of non-dominant languages able to publish interact and promote the use of these languages in digital spaces what you have been presenting in the last two days on the sheer knowledge available online that's very little from first african women and if we even go with knowledge points on wikipedia alone um there are few african women even just a small percentage of african women wikipedians and wikimedians who are contributing to different knowledge sets we also asked ourselves are certain languages are policed or censored more or less than others you know this is a political issue you know this is true and are certain stereotypes or assumptions of language reproduced in digital spaces we already know that a lot of stereotypes continue to follow when you use some languages So yeah, and if I just go straight into some of the findings for Ethiopia for instance we found that Ethiopia as a country has over 100 million people has five official languages Amharic Oromo Somali and Tigrinya and Amharic dominates English English for them is known as the language of science and technology and they associate it with professionals and professionalism so you can see it's they will not use it in casual setups or in family setups we also found that uh, in tanzania swahili of course being the national language is spoken by the majority and english was really imposed as a tool of education because when you're employed you'll need to be speaking english and working in english and also for social mobility you can't move from 
that country to another if you don't if you're not able to communicate in one global language that's considered to be English. Then we found that there's in terms of safety there's limited information available though social media remains a political forum for Swahili speakers greatly. And then Uganda, on the same front of usability, we found that uh, Uganda, Luganda and English dominate despite having 41, more than 41 tribes and languages. And then Luganda remains majority spoken on uh, in the central region. So then it's, no, it's also really not widely spoken. But many sp- mix their mother tongue with, with English. But national media, both alternative and legacy media, will always produce their knowledge points in English and Luganda. In this study that we conducted, some of the relevant information we found is that information and language inequality continues to reinforce colonial era patterns of information production and presentation. Mm, policy are asking you know, all the right questions know, with and, this report. And, and you're making me think about the little things again. Mm. And how people assume just because you know English, you're the most literate person Mm-mm. to ever exist on this Mm-mm. earth. Which is so weird because in places like Tanzania, even mm-hmm. mathematics, they learn in Swahili. Yeah. And chemistry that's, and biology. And, like they and physics. In, yes. In Swahili. Because uh, that's the official, that's their official. national language. Yes. In Italy as well, everything is taught in Italian. In Poland, yeah. if you're doing a medicine it's degree, Polish. it's Polish. So yeah. it's, in India, at, exactly. it's Tamil. Mm. It's Hindi. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so why do we take it as if, just because... I don't, I can't speak fluent English. Then it means you're exactly. I'm, I'm dumb. You're less than. No. Yeah, you mm. know. Like I, oh my goodness, I'm just thinking. You, now you see, you have to respect everyone in whichever forms they communicate in, because mm-hmm. what happens is that many African speakers in global South uh, majority really, we we speak more than one language. Mm. So you'll always think with your original language and express with the other language that you learned or that is commonly used. Sometimes when someone is not so clear, it's not their fault. They're not dumb. Mm. Mm. They're yeah. just thinking in their, <laughs> their non-dominant language. language. Yeah. Possibly my Kimeru uh, that we speak in Kenya. <laughs> Possibly I'm just thinking in my Kikuyu, in my Kikamba. Yeah. I'm just thinking, oh. That I want to communicate something to Sylvia, but I'm not getting that English word. <laughs> and then Sylvia would be like, "Hey, this girl." <laughs> no, it's just mother tongue. It's just my non-dominant language, which is not widely spoken. Mm. Yeah, but I'm able to express myself in my language mm-hmm. before I'm able to express myself better in English. Yeah. So those are some of the challenges that continue to really undermine how we communicate effectively using the internet. And sometimes I feel the global majority is always, some of our information is misconstrued. We may have so much data sets to evidence some of our work, to evidence some of our challenges, to evidence some of our successes. But the way we've expressed ourselves in English is not coming out that you've done all that work because it really, it's not our first language. So we're just trying to professionalize or to put it in a, very simplified manner because we don't know how to brag or we don't know how to package it for the who's and the who's. We learn this in school, but for someone whose first language is English, they will lose all the pompous words. They'll know how to construct the sentences direct and just communicate well on the internet and they look like they've done the 
biggest thing. So I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you seeing the difference? Mm-hmm. Yes, I yeah. am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If our banks were operating in our mother tongues, they will never con us. Mm? They would Fast. Ne- <laughs> Are they you seeing? Are you seeing these challenges? <laughs> mm-hmm. The the fine print that many people don't read, especially yeah. in our service service industry. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. all the the things that are. It's just because you have that fatigue. I. Re- if it was in our mother t- non-dominant languages, many people will be able to really imbibe this information and understand yeah. what, what it tr- it's truly meant mm-hmm. in this fine print. But yeah, so it's really important that we see these languages. We contribute to having these languages online mm-hmm. yeah. and really? challenge tech yeah. to work with, to hire. So they need to hire African women who are local translators. There are many there are so many, and they have the money, they have the resources. So it's a, it's really something that you can also really recommend as you go on with your work beyond mm-hmm. just getting the challenges. That we have a bunch of translators here. Hey, we need to see our languages there. What do you need? Here is our list. Hire them. Just direct that kind of direct recommendation to them, and and you see some uptake. Mm. Yeah, I mean the work that you're doing with policy around language and colonization is so close and so reminiscent of the work that Whose Knowledge has been doing with the state of the Internet's languages, right? And I think just in Africa alone, there needs to be an Africa edition, considering how many languages that are spoken frequently are not found anywhere online Mm. at all. And there are certain social capital reasons for it, there's certain big tech reasons for it, there's certain maybe government repression reasons for it mm-hmm. that you really need to kind of delve into to find the real story about what is going on with our languages and also how can we live differently as people if we center or decenter English mm-hmm. and center another language in our regions, in our countries, in our areas. So, Irene, you were talking about your findings from the report. Mm-hmm. So... To kind of move us over to DTI, mm. what were your findings from the convening? What were your findings from the gathering? What would you like our listeners to know, the listeners who weren't at the convening? What is the takeaway for you to give to them? The tech ecosystem, the digital ecosystem, is not for technologists alone. We all play a part in building a feminist technology because we'll be able to share our grievances as women, number one, as African women. And therefore, you know, designers are able to um, ensure um, better products are developed. And then um, organizations will be able to inform some of the government policies uh, for better technology and for better protection in our countries. And then for DTI, really decolonizing the internet, it's really, really a wonderful space where you can have different communities just sharing their grievances for people to understand how each and every one of us uses the internet because we all have different needs. Some use it for pleasure. Do you know this? Mm, Feminist porn. Exactly. (laughs) Pleasure. To, to relieve yourselves from some pain points that no you think no one else will ever understand, even if you're seeking professional help. Some people just go and watch the cartoons online, the, the memes, the memes. The, the memes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, you know, they are able to go on with their day. So it's really important for everyone to just 
share their individual ex experiences so that it can inform better design, better use, better marketing of the internet. Yeah. You've said memories. Like, I feel like I'm just getting triggered all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like how someone can just look at it and say meme and then all of a sudden they're the most dumb people. I just hate how English is Yes, like the... yes, you see? <laughs> I'm just... I know, or G for GIF. I usually say GIF and then I, I, I hear, you know, cartoons and people saying GIF. Yeah. Like, GIF, sounds GIF sounds better. Yeah. Like, well, who told you it sounds better? In my head, it does. There you go. Even the person <laughs> saying give. It sounds better. They're saying the same. Yeah, but for me, it's just, I feel like this has to be talked about. This has to be discussed. Are you getting there? Not yeah. just here. Exactly. And not just today and not yes. just this week. Yeah. But until systems get it right. Yes. Yeah. You go to a teacher in a school in remote Kenya, remote Zambia, just speak to them about how they use the internet. Mm -hmm. Just ask them that question and then you'll hear how different it is from you who may be living in an urban area. Mm -hmm. That alone will show you some of the challenges that they experience even while using the internet and some of the challenges they experience with telcos who provide internet to them and the challenges they experience with the government who regularizes the telco to provide the internet and accessibility to them. And then from the government, you'll be able to they'll you'll be able to connect how the government is getting frustrated or just sing the song of the big techs. You'll see how interconnected it is. Yeah. Mm, yeah, the ecosystem you've charted out right now. <laughs> you can you can see it, you know, the case study of, yeah. of <laughs> the whole narrative there. Yeah. Oh, this is amazing. I feel like we you need to Put it out there. Like, you need to really distribute this information. Guys, our website is policy.org. Our Twitter, policy.org. Our Facebook, the same. Uh, we have an Instagram as well. We try to simplify. Mm. I, I told you, are you finally getting it? We try yeah. to simplify the information for any ordinary person to just understand. Because there is no use of doing this work if the next citizen or a government official does mm. not understand, they'll not be able to debate better yes. in parliament. Mm. They need to understand what is yep. data protection. They need to understand what is cyber security, digital mm -hmm. safety, how they are different. Yeah. They need to understand why are you saying feminist tech all the time? Why are you saying decolonizing all the time? Mm. So, and I think I'll end on that note. Yeah, sure. I'm so happy. Like, I feel like I am the basic person. Like, <laughs> I am the. There is no basic. Darling. No, no, and you yeah. use the word basic, like <laughs> layman's, you guys. Yeah. Because have you seen how many triggers and short points I've had during this session? <laughs> and yet it was a very short session. Yeah, but thank you. Thank you so much, Irene. This mm. is amazing work that you're doing. Mm. And we cannot wait to see, you know, how how and where this goes, you know. Thank you so much for honoring my invitation. You're very welcome. And please... Read the terms of use on the websites. Read the privacy policies. Mm -hmm. Understand what bills are coming in your parliaments on data and internet governance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Irene. Hey! Thank you, thank you, thank you very much for joining us for the Feminine Ninja podcast. 
We really believe and trust that you have enjoyed our conversations and they have pricked some thinking, some 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 kind of wanting to find out more about feminism, about patriarchy, and what is the role for each one of us in detonating patriarchy and proudly and boldly claiming ourselves as feminists. So stay tuned, keep following us, engage with us on Femnet website www.femnet.org Thank you. You can follow Who's Knowledge on Twitter at Who's Knowledge.